As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Let's go in-depth on Hawkeye Sports with the Des Moines Register. It's time for Hawk Central on 1460 KXNO. Happy Wednesday evening, Hawkeye fans, and thanks for hopping aboard for this week's edition of the Hawk Central Radio Hour here on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. My name is Chad Leistico, a sports columnist who covers the Hawkeyes for the Des Moines Register, and I'm back in the host seat this week. Thank you to Andrew Downs for stepping in while I was away for one week uh, during the Hawkeyes off week in football. Before we get going, I want to say thank you and congratulations to our show producer, Eric Zamora. This, unfortunately for us, will be Eric's final Hawk Central hour as he will be taking over, uh, good for him, uh, as the program director for WMT Radio and KXIC Radio uh, over in the Cedar Rapids, Iowa City area where I grew up. Very excited to hear that, Eric. Uh, two stations I'm very familiar with. Congrats, man. Yeah, and uh, the buried news there is also we'll be eventually doing an afternoon uh, shift on uh, KKSY Kiss Country FM. But, no, I'm really looking forward to the opportunity, um, staying in touch with my friends here on KXNO and WHO Radio, probably filling in remotely now and then. And uh, also really looking forward to the opportunity to be that close to Iowa City, to Kinnick, uh, and to getting to know and uh, learn so much more about the Hawkeye football and basketball program from um, much closer ground. So um, yeah, a, a awesome. good a good opportunity that's going to have uh, some nice perks with it as well. Yeah, for sure. I've, I've always uh, kind of imagined uh, maybe Hawk Central could sneak into the Iowa City area as well, so maybe you can help with that. You may someday. know the guy to talk to about that eventually. <laughs> I do. Now I've got a connection. Love it. All right, man. Well, thanks. Uh, Eric will be joining us for one last prediction on Iowa-Wisconsin later in the show. Uh, so we'll stay tuned for his parting shot there. Uh, but let's get into the Hawkeye football talk. We are live once again tonight here on Wednesday. So give Eric a call at 515-284-5966. He's going to screen your call, see if you're worthy for the air. I have no idea if he's just going to wave everyone through, or since this is his last show, maybe he'll just swat you away. But there's only one way to find out. you got to call, 515-284-5966. And here we go. Five games in 28 days starting Saturday. 11 a.m. at Wisconsin for the 6-1 Iowa football team. Uh, we're going to preview that matchup in great detail with our five big questions segment later in the show. And, of course, we'll make our predictions for what is expected to be an extremely low-scoring game. But to get us started, let's bring in the always busy and always getting better Hawkeye teammate of mine, Kennington Smith. Uh, that was a long introduction, Kennington. And also, uh, I hope you're dealing okay with this horrible, horrible Midwest weather we're starting to experience. How you doing, man? 
I'm good. I'm good. I actually went on a bit of a shopping spree earlier this week and um, got a lot of thermals and beanies and, and gloves. So I actually went outside today. The wind was whipping, and I put my thermals on, and I went outside, and I just stood out there for a little while just to kind of see um, <laughs> the, the – uh, okay. Just to, just to get a feel for it, to get to get a sense of the effectiveness of the thermals and all. Uh, but I'm doing okay. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens when we go to Wisconsin. From we talked a little bit off air. You said that the press gets pretty cold, um, and I know Wisconsin is going to be cold this time of year as well. So um, <laughs> continuing to to get reps under my belt um, in the cold and on the beat. So. It's an exciting time, and um, I'm excited to kind of dive into this with you as well. Yeah, I'm just picturing you standing outside in Iowa City winds like one of those Weather Channel guys, you know, on the air, just like (laughs) tipping over in the wind, trying to stand up straight in your thermals. Uh, Awesome. Well, uh, it'll be, you know, it'll continue to be a growing experience as we head into basketball season. But for now, let's focus on football. And uh, I wanted to start the conversation with uh, something I didn't mention in my postgame coverage, but I think is kind of notable. Uh, about Iowa's 24-7 to loss a few weeks ago that I know you all want to forget about. Uh, that was Iowa's largest home defeat in eight seasons. Uh, last time Iowa had lost by that many points at home, or more points than that, was in 2013 against Wisconsin. 28-9 to was that final score. And I bring that up because just because it is so rare that Iowa gets beaten soundly at home. So we're not really used to having this type of conversation uh, even in the 2014 season, I was looking back on that one today. Uh, Iowa's three home losses that year were to Iowa State by three, Wisconsin by two, and Nebraska by three when Iowa should have beaten Nebraska. So that was a horrible, horrible season, yet Iowa still hung in close at home. So this is just very rare uh, to happen. And now the Hawkeye football team, uh, the players, coaches, have had two weeks to think about this loss that kind of came out of nowhere to a lot of us. Yet at the same time, this is a team that's still in the top 10 in the AP and coaches poll, Kennington. So all that said, emotionally and physically, where do you think this Hawkeye team is at right now? I think that the bye week came at the perfect time for them emotionally and physically. When you go through a full spring, summer, fall camp, especially after what happened last year where you don't have the full offseason, you don't have a full spring, you don't have a full fall. You only played eight games last year. You come into a year this year where you have the, the full offseason, the full preparation, and then you play seven games consecutively. Your body kind of needs a, a bit of a reset. So uh, I understand that it came at a, a perfect time in, in that regard. And just give them an opportunity to kind of reevaluate where they're at in the first seven weeks, um, maybe tweak some things offensively and defensively that can pay dividends in the last five games. They've spoken extensively throughout the year about how they look at the season in, in two blocks, the first seven and, and then the final five. So I think that the bye week came at a good time. It was good for them to kind of reset, maybe take a, a step away from football for a little bit, kind of decompress and then come back into this um, last five-game stretch with a, a fresh perspective and a clean slate, honestly. Um, the, the first seven games went almost about as well as they could have gone. Obviously, you don't want to have the loss that they had at the end. Uh, but again, to, to be 6-1 and one at, at this point in the season, at the forefront of, of national conversations, they're in the top ten. They've been playing on national television. They've been featured on, on major television networks uh, at the beginning of the year that was the goal to be at this point now obviously that the way that they got there with how they ended is leaving a sour taste in people's mouths but overall 
this is a good position to to be in. So in talking mm-hmm. to the players throughout the week, I think that something that, that stuck out to me was them kind of emphasizing the fact that even though they lost and it's a tough loss and you never want to lose, everything that they want is still very attainable and it's still ahead of them. And they're truly going to have to take things one game at a time. I feel like that's something that's also um, ringing more true now that you can't overlook anybody because they were double-digit favors to Purdue um, and, and lost by double digits as well. So that message is reinforced now now more than ever. So I think that it, it came at a good time, and I feel like there's a sense of maybe um, a refocus and a, and a new energy coming into the second half of the season. One thing uh, that stood out to me in the player interviews on Tuesday was uh, seemed like a consistent theme that uh, all the guys said that they really just needed the mental and physical break, like you mentioned, Kennington. Uh, Arlen Bruce the fourth said, that, you know, that everyone on the team felt like at practice on Sunday that they had uh, fresh legs and like they didn't remember what fresh legs felt like, like at the start of training camp. So I think that's probably a good thing. They've just been pushing so hard, and we know they've had really tough games um, leading up, you know, in this first seven game block. I mean, think about all the hype surrounding that Indiana game. Uh, you know, that we thought was going to be, you know, uh, such a showdown. Uh, same thing at Maryland. You know, that was supposed to be a really close game. And then you think about the two biggies at Iowa State and Penn State, just the emotional toll that those two games took. Um, you know, they've been through a lot the first seven weeks. So as I as I talk here, I've got the AP and, and coaches rankings called up. And there's Iowa and that AP poll, 6-1, and one, number nine in the country. Um, a game at Wisconsin this week that – we all thought that they would have to win to win the West Division, and that is exactly what is going to happen. So uh, they're either going to win this game and have a really good shot at winning the West, or they're going to lose this game and probably not going to win the West. But uh, they are in that position, which we talked about. Okay, so uh, looking back at trends about this bye week, there really isn't that uh, great of a history one way or another in the Kirk Ferentz era. Uh, now, I looked a little bit closer with, with my colleague, uh, our colleague, Dargan Dar- Southard, uh, at recent history uh, after buys. And one example, Kennington, stuck out to me as something we could talk about here. Uh, 2018, uh, the two, that, was, that was a good Iowa team, uh, actually, uh, one that uh, ended up winning the Outback Bowl. Uh, but anyway, uh, had a home loss very deflating home loss and it happened to be to wisconsin just as you know fate would have it here but then they had the bye week after that it was a really deflating whole home loss after two weeks iowa came out at minnesota so road game rivalry road game uh, after the bye week and they actually had made some changes they made a major change to the defense they went from the 4-3 to the 4-2-5 that's what happened they went under the hood after a really deflating home loss so my question now is going into this rivalry game, big stakes uh, on the road. What kind of wholesale changes, if any, do the Hawkeyes make? So uh, let's start on defense. I mean, do the Hawkeyes need, or do do the Hawkeyes make changes uh, at all on defense this week? Uh, knowing Riley Moss not going to play at cornerback this week, so uh, that's a that's an in- interesting wrinkle as well. Right. I don't think on defense we're going to see that many wholesale changes. I think the biggest thing that the defense needs is just getting healthier. Obviously, Riley Moss um, is a big loss. We we learned early this week that Deontay Craig is still not in the mix at defensive line, so that rotation has, has shrunken 
mm-hmm. a, a little bit. I think to to this point, the defense has been a true strength of the team, and they did have a bad showing against Purdue. And a lot of that is on the, the secondary. We've had such a great year up until this point, but we have to kind of take into account that Moss missed that game. So I think that at this point, the biggest fix that they need is just a little bit more time to get healthy and the current players who are healthy now staying healthy. Um, I'm not sure how much the, the secondary will come into play against Wisconsin just because they have been such a, a run-focused team. Graham Mertz, their quarterback, has proven to be inaccurate and to throw interceptions in the early part of the year. So I don't know how much of a how much they're going to want to try Iowa secondary uh, in a way, knowing you know the type of quarterback that they have and how he's played um, this year. With all due respect to, to Graham Mertz, so defensively, I think they just kind of um, I think that this bye week is helpful to them to just kind of rest up and be full strength and get ready for what's going to be a truly physical game. Um, against Wisconsin, but I don't think that any wholesale changes are, are needed on on the defensive end. Just a little bit more time to to get some more bodies back. Yeah, it's a good point on Deontay Craig. That definitely thins out the defensive line rotation. We might get into that later in our five big questions. Uh, one thing I've thought about, and uh, we'll see what happens. We we do expect Iowa to be heavy four three personnel in this game. So that means a lot of Justin Jacobs. That that seems like that's usually a good thing for the Hawkeyes. Uh, so you're going to see three linebackers out there, and I think he makes Iowa better when he's on the field, so that's a good thing. But then, at the same time, what do you do with Dane Belton and Kayvon Merriweather? So I just wonder, without uh, the one thing I was thinking about, without Riley Moss, is it possible to flip Dane Belton out to corner, knowing you're going to be in 4-3 most of the game, and then maybe you leave... Uh, Kayvon Merriweather out, uh, you know, in the safety spot along with uh, Jack Kerner, and then uh, give yourself some uh, pretty good tackling ability on the edge. And Dane Belton, obviously one of Iowa's best defensive players, uh, and it's not like uh, Wisconsin has a David Bell at receiver. So that was just something I thought about. We didn't really get to talk to any defensive players at all, other than Merriweather. He was the only one they brought on Tuesday. So I'm just, that just kind of sent off my little alarm bells. That who knows, maybe they're cooking something up on defense this week. Uh, you are listening to Hawk Central from the Dorm Register and KXNO. Des Moines Register and KXNO. I kind of mumbled that. Uh, I am Chad Lystico talking Iowa football with Kennington Smith. And we are going to talk about what offensive changes might be made under the hood. But first, before we talk about that, we want to bring in our uh, favorite caller, Anthony, who joins the program. And I did get chastised, Anthony, that the last show that I did, I brought you on second. You were the second guest on the show. And Iowa lost to Purdue, so we got to make you the first guest every time. So, Anthony, welcome, first guest. Here you go. Red carpet is out. Hi, Chad Kennedy. How you guys doing this what evening tonight? Awesome, man. Great to hear from you. Uh, question is, I have for you, uh, Chad Kennedy, is what's your concerns for this Iowa offense as you coming off of the bye week? Now, would they be a little bit rusty going into this game on Saturday? I think it's a Saturday morning game. or a Yep, game. Saturday, 11 a.m. Yep, yep. yep. Set your alarm. Okay, yep. and, uh, and another question is I have for you. Uh, does Iowa control, uh, controls its own destiny? Now, we are kind of a little bit of a tight race in the Big Ten West. If we play out well on Saturday, do they control their own destiny? And, uh, guys, I'll hang up and listen, and uh, go Hawks. Thanks, guys. 
Thank you, Anthony. Um, yeah, the uh, the Hawkeyes are three and one in the Big Ten. Minnesota's three and one in the Big Ten. Purdue's two and two. Wisconsin's two and two. Obviously, Purdue has the head-to-head win against Iowa. Obviously, Wisconsin has the head-to-head win against Purdue. Minnesota has a head-to-head win against Purdue. Iowa, Minnesota haven't played. Wisconsin, Minnesota haven't played. Iowa, Wisconsin are about to play. So, answer your question. Yes, Iowa controls its own destiny. And the winner of Saturday's game, honestly, uh, probably has the inside track to the West title. Uh, Wisconsin's schedule pretty light the rest of the way. They've kind of faced their heavy hitters with losses to Penn State and Michigan. And Iowa's got some tough games coming up as well. Uh, but uh, but certainly a head-to-head win against Wisconsin would go a long way. Uh, of course, the Minnesota game coming up for, for both teams is big. Minnesota's playing pretty well. But, yes, control their own destiny. And, Kennington, let's go to you on the offense here. Uh, as we just teased, uh, number one, uh, concerned – that Iowa comes out rusty after such a poor performance against Purdue, seven points against the so-so defense, you know, all those turnovers. Um, and what does Brian Ferentz do under the hood? What do you expect, I guess, on Saturday from this offense? Um, well, it's interesting because when we had Brian Ferentz during the bye week for assistant, for a coordinator um, availability, he said that, some things are better left unsaid when he was asked about what type of changes did he foresee for the offense. Uh, but he also said that there weren't going to be any wholesale changes. So I don't know if he had on a, a poker face or if I was really going to come out and do something much different in this game than in the past games. But if I was the one making those decisions, I don't know if it would be so much formational in terms of what they're changing. But personnel-wise, I think that uh, Keegan Johnson obviously needs to be a bigger part of, of the offense and what they do moving forward. I believe that you wrote in a piece that he only had 16 snaps uh, against Purdue. He's proven to be a, a, a dynamic option, and he's somebody, and Brian Ferris spoke to this, and we're talking about that X position. He's somebody that you can put on one side of the field and you can trust and depend on to win those one-on-one matchups, um, and that's something that Iowa's offense really needs. And they really need somebody who can kind of break break the game open and make plays. He's somebody who is a vertical thread down the field. He proved in the Purdue game um, in his only catch that he's somebody who could take a small pass or a short pass, I should say, and take it for a, a long game. So I would like to see him more involved in the offense. I think that um, Arlen Brusa as well is somebody who can be used in, in multiple um, options on offense. We see him take jet sweeps. We've seen him obviously in, in the past game as well. Tyron Tracy is another player who kind of fits that, that mold as well. So for me, I'm just kind of looking for them to kind of utilize the, the personnel, put them in different positions um, on the field in order to help them be successful. I don't know if it's so much formational or if it's just putting personnel in the right packages and utilizing them in a way to where they can kind of maximize their ability and truly show their, their game-making prowess. So that's what I would suggest uh, in terms of wholesale changes for the offense um, and then just kind of better execution. I feel like that goes without saying, especially along the offensive line. Yeah, all the things I'm curious about seeing is is what does he do at wide receiver? Uh, obviously, it's going to help this week to get Luke Lachey back as your second tight end. I th- do think they missed him quite a bit against Purdue. That's not why they lost, but that helps. Sounds like Cody Ince and Kyler Schott uh, are getting healthier, so that might help at the guard spots. 
does that allow Connor Colby to maybe flex out to right tackle? I still think that's probably Iowa's weakest position on the line. Um, we will see. We'll see if Iowa kind of picks a best five up front from the offensive line. But I guess what I would like to see maybe um, is just uh, more creative play calling on first down. Uh, I think that's where you really got to make some hay uh, against Wisconsin because that's, uh, that's where you're not going to see as many blitzes. Iowa's really struggling against the blitz right now just because the O-line uh, is probably the number one problem on the team right now. Um, so uh, I guess that's where I, where I would go, uh, whether it's a jet sweep action, whether it's uh, shotgun runs, whether it's uh, throwing, throwing on first down, novel concept there. Uh, we will see. Um, let's get into uh, one more topic before we go to break, Kennington, and that is um, – the national kind of implications of this game. We talk about the Big Ten West, but we Iowa sits here, you know, with a chance to still make its way into the Big Ten title game, still force its way into the playoff. Different debate of whether it has the offense that can do that, uh, but I think there's still. I think that's why this game is so fascinating. If if Iowa comes out on Saturday. And and gains 350, 400 yards and, and wins, you know, going away. All of a sudden, I think you're you're right back to where we started a couple of weeks ago, thinking, hey, this is a this is a potential playoff team. So, and then the college playoff rankings finally, at long last, come out on Tuesday evening. So, a re- a real chance here for the Iowa program to, as you have talked about before kind of uh, elevate the brand a little bit. They did it against Penn State. Now they kind of took a step back. Here's another chance, man, to uh, to get that big win. They're two for two on this stage this season, uh, you know, against Iowa State and Penn State. Right, absolutely. And then uh, on top of that, this is – we're talking about the college football rankings and how the committee bases their decision. There are times where what happens in the AP poll and how the college football committee – ranks teams aren't always aligned and a lot of that and i feel like what is so significant about this weekend is that this is going to be the final chance for teams to leave an impression on the committee before the initial rankings come out so you could look at a team like iowa let's say they do what you said come out 350 400 yards bounce back win at wisconsin they're sitting at nine right now but Who's to say that they couldn't be sitting at six in the initial college football rankings when, when they come out? The committee could look at Iowa as a team that has a lot more ranked wins than, than teams um, in the top ten right now. They've done it on the road. They've done so at home. They've done so in comeback fashion. Um, you know, The defense has dominated in this last game against Wisconsin. Pending the offense shows a lot. This could be a team that they say is trending upwards out of, out of the bye week and showing those type of improvements and that could help elevate them in that in that type of discussion. On top of that, when you consider all of the marquee matchups that are going on this weekend, Ohio State-Penn State, Michigan-Michigan State, Ole Miss and Auburn, Georgia-Florida, Iowa, as well in the top ten playing a, a big game against Wisconsin, the committee's eyes are going to be a little bit all, all over the country, and they're going to be looking to see where teams are trending and how they're progressing through the season as we get into the most important part of the season. So, obviously, this is a huge weekend in, in college football and another opportunity for Iowa to, to make an impression on those national experts who who maybe feel, like you said, um, maybe weren't worthy of that um, playoff hype a few weeks ago, but have an opportunity to kind of right that ship in a huge game on Saturday. 
Yep, a uh, bunch of the players talked about it. They've they've had to wait a long time to try to wash the taste out of them, their mouth uh, from this Purdue loss. And what a great chance! What a great chance to uh, just you know totally put that behind them and put themselves at the very front of the pack in the Big Ten West. Justin is uh, uh, on the line in Urbandale, but we will should we get to him now, Eric? Or do you want? To, yeah, we'll do it. We'll get to Justin now before we hit break. We got to go kind of quick, Justin. But uh, looks like you might want to talk about the defense. How you doing, man? Hey guys, uh, okay. First off, real quick, uh, Kennington, you're standing outside in the wind today. I'm going to give you a football analogy here. That's like Georgia when they're going to play Charleston Southern later this year, right? <laughs> when when February comes around, we're talking about Iowa playing Alabama in the college football championship. Now, don't right? scare them so off here. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's the difference between, you know, what you found today and what you're going to experience in February. It's going to be brutal. <laughs> uh, but stick around. Stick around because we love you. Hey, um, defensive-wise, you guys mentioned, you know, maybe replacing. Uh, first off, there's no such thing as a wholesale change when it comes to Iowa football, offensive or defensive. Um you talked about Iowa, you know, transitioning to the four-two-five. That was like a, that was the extent of a wholesale change. We also mentioned maybe playing Dane Belton in Riley Moss's spot. Well, like so, like Terry Roberts is going to be playing there. Um, is is Dane Belton like a major upgrade from Terry Roberts? Is it like, or or is it just a thing? I, I'm I'm curious to know what your thought process behind that is because. I feel like, you know, I mean, the coaches say Terry is like a, he's like a starter. He's just got two extremely good guys in front of him. So I'm just sure. curious whether or not you think that Dan Belton would be an upgrade over Terry Roberts. All right. Thanks, Justin. Yeah. I, um, yeah, my, uh, my thought process there is, uh, when I rewatched the Purdue game, I thought Roberts, uh, gave way too much cushion at times to Bell. And, uh, you know, they, there were some balls where you needed a little bit more height. Uh, he's a little shorter guy. And also, I think in this game, you need a little bit more physical presence. Uh, Roberts is great on special teams. Roberts, uh, certainly, uh, is a great player. Uh, just wondered if in this particular matchup, maybe a little more physical presence on the edge and more veteran presence on the edge, who's not making a second career start and not coming off a kind of a rough game against Purdue might help. So that was a thought process there. Anyway, coming up next. Kennington Smith and I and Eric Zamora will dig into five big questions about Saturday's Iowa-Wisconsin matchup. We'll drill right into that. You are listening in to 1460 KXNO and now on 106.3 FM. Everything you need to know about the Hawkeyes. It's Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register on 1460 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. With me, as always, is Kennington Smith. Great first segment, my friend, uh, and we thank you all, our listeners, for listening each and every week. Uh, Iowa, Wisconsin, Saturday, 11 a.m., ESPN. Uh, Bob Wishusen and Dan Orlovsky on the call. I don't know if it's fair that uh, the the, uh, the main announcer, has the first four letters of his last name are W-I-S-C. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Uh, Wisconsin, favored by three or three and a half, depending on where you look. The over-under is ridiculously low, 36.5 or 37, also depending where you look. So uh, very interesting numbers on that front this weekend. That was a long first segment, so we're going to have to hustle through our five-bit questions today, Kennington. And number one uh, on my list, does Wisconsin even have to throw 
much, I'll say much, to beat the Hawkeyes. Here's here's kind of the landscape. Uh, Wisconsin has just decided they're not going to throw the ball anymore, basically. Uh, Graham Mertz threw eight passes against Purdue. They ran 51 times in that game. Um, The rush defense for Iowa is going to be such a big story in this game with Wisconsin averaging 293 yards in its three-game win streak. Basically, since the Michigan game, they realized Mertz uh, is turning the ball over way, way too much. So he's only thrown 42 passes, really hasn't done much with those passes. Uh, He's also fumbled. Uh, He hasn't thrown a touchdown pass. But they're winning. They're winning. Uh, They beat uh, Illinois. They beat Army. And they beat Purdue. So how much, if any, does Wisconsin have to throw to beat the Hawks? I think that this question kind of, the, like what you said about uh, Iowa's rush defense, I think it's kind of dependent on how well the rush defense plays. If Iowa's rush defense can stop them on first and second down, get them behind the stakes, force them into passing situations, and then you make Wisconsin have to throw the ball to beat them, I think they'll have a better chance. But just the question in a vacuum, no, Wisconsin doesn't have to throw the the ball if they if they want to win. To me, if they're not throwing the ball, that means that they're getting a lot of forward progress and a lot of forward momentum on first and second down running the ball, which is a lot of what happened uh, against Purdue. It's crazy that Wisconsin was one for eleven on third down against Purdue's defense, but mostly dominated the game just because they were able to just kind of you know run run downhill and, and get a lot of positive you know yardage running the, running the football so a lot of this question kind of depends on what Iowa's defense does but in short no they don't have to throw it if they if they want to win yeah, that is true they you're right they don't have to um i guess my i guess that kind of leads me to what um could be the biggest story of this game on defense which is can Iowa force more third downs uh <laughs> you know can they can they hold Wisconsin to two to three yards on first down and maybe another three yards on second down, force those third and fours and maybe make Mertz uh, make some throws. Uh, it just it just seems like they just do not want him back there at all just because he's been so bad with turnovers. Uh, really kind of amazing what a downturn he has had. And I guess that's the reason I brought up that question more than anything was just to kind of highlight that Wisconsin is basically doing everything it can to hide Graham Mertz in its game plan. And that leads us to number two on my big questions, Kennington. Uh, hand in hand, I guess, but uh, we'll, we'll count it as a second question. Uh, do we know how good Iowa's rush defense is yet? Um, the reason I bring that up is because Iowa has faced uh, the top four pass attempt teams in the Big Ten. Their four Big Ten opponents are one, two, three, four in pass attempts in the Big Ten in, in, uh, in order. Uh, I don't know which is one. I can't remember, but it's Indiana, you know, Indiana, Maryland, Penn State, and Purdue. They throw the ball a ton. Now we get into the portion of the schedule where Iowa faces a ton of running teams. Uh, Iowa is ranked, uh, what, sixth, seventh in the country in, in rush defense, I think. Uh, don't have that number in front of me, but, uh, but they, they do have good numbers. But how valid are those numbers? I guess what's your answer to that? I think that... There is a little bit of gray area we consider that a lot of their most recent teams haven't run the ball as much. Um, I think that the biggest evidence of what Iowa's rush defense is capable of is non-conference. They went up against Brees Hall week two for the most part. He was really limited in that game. They, they forced a fumble on him that was returned for a touchdown. Colorado State, big team, probably the most similar to Wisconsin that they've seen so far this year big offensive line likes to run downhill. 
and they weren't running for for yards in bursts uh, against Iowa's defense and the mm, defense that's true. played that's well true. For, for mostly for most of that game. So I think that we have an idea of how good the rush defense can play, or we know the level that the rush defense is capable of based off of the talent that they have on defense and in the front seven. And we know that the secondary is not afraid to go in there and tackle and they have sure tacklers. So I think it's a, a little bit of a, of a mix. I think that we know kind of the, the level and the standard that they want to play, want to play towards. I think a lot of this is going to depend on the play of the defensive line that has kind of taken a step back in recent weeks. And we had Kelvin Bell defensive line coach today on zoom. And he said that this game is going to be like a final exam of sorts. Mm-hmm. When you think about all the things that he's been installing and all the things that they've been preaching, all of it is going to kind of, come to a head in this game. So I think we know what to expect out of an Iowa rush defense. We haven't seen it um, in large part due to their opponents, but I don't think that this is something that they're not capable of based on personnel and what they've done in their non-conference slate. Yeah, the Colorado State game is a good analogy. Uh, I think Colorado State had 48 carries for 95 yards that day, and like you said, didn't didn't really get much other than quarterback runs. In that one, uh, obviously the personnel a little different here, but but that was a big offensive line against Iowa's smallish defensive line. Uh, Iowa definitely going to be outsized in the run game, and uh, you know we're not. One of the things we do with these five questions, we're trying to uh, highlight uh, key points in the game. We're not necessarily, ha- you know, it'll be fun to see how it plays out. Obviously, uh, we don't know for sure, but uh, we just do the best we can with our analysis uh, on that. And I do think the rush defense is, is a fascinating topic. Iowa has done pretty well, I feel like, against the actual handoff runs. Uh, the quarterback runs have sometimes been a different story. Uh, but Mertz is not necessarily a big threat with his legs. So I do like Iowa's chances there. Uh, the big issue, I think, is Wisconsin just seems to have found its footing with kind of a one-two punch at running back. That was one of its huge questions in the offseason. What, what would they do at that position? And uh, they found some stuff here with Ches Malusi, the Clemson transfer, and Braylon Allen, 6'2", 238, 17-year-old freshman, three straight 100-yard games in kind of that number two role. But he's really given that running game some juice, again, against Illinois, Army, and uh, Purdue, not exactly world beaters on defense. And didn't Army, isn't that the team that just gave up 70 points to Wake Forest, right? Yeah, I'm right about that, yeah. right? So it's not, you yeah. know, let's put a little asterisk by by Wisconsin beating Army 20 to 14, uh folks. Uh all right, number 3, man. Uh let's turn it around. How do you attack if you're Iowa? How do you attack Wisconsin's defense? Here are some stats about the Badgers defense. Number 1 in the country uh on against the run. Uh, we got to give Georgia its due. They're number 2 in the country overall. Uh, Wisconsin has held two opponents below 100 yards. Uh, that's something that, that Iowa fans are very familiar with, the 66-yard performance in Madison in 2017. And considering Iowa is 119th out of 130 FBS teams on in offense, this seems like a bad, bad matchup. So how <laughs> what does Iowa do, Kennington, to move the football on Saturday? It, it it has to start up front. I think that, that my biggest answer and the central answer to this is they have to find a way to control the line of scrimmage. They have to be able to keep Wisconsin's defenders at bay. This is an aggressive a defense. A defense that's going to want to try to get after. Peaches are going to want to try to 
disrupt a lot of what happens in, in Iowa's back. But we saw this against Purdue. I believe they had six sacks in that game, 10 tackles for loss. I mean, they were game wrecking them, um, their game plan from, from the snap based on what they were doing at the line of scrimmage. So before anything, the offensive line is probably going to have to put forth their best performance of the season if Iowa wants to have a chance to, to win this game. And then past that, you know, if you're controlling the line of scrimmage, that means the running game is going to be a lot more effective. Pitchers are going to have more time to throw. You throw in the offensive creativity um, that you were speaking of earlier. Brian Ferentz is going to have to try to dial up something uh, with a little bit more flavor to try to move the ball down the field against this Wisconsin defense. But the, it all starts with, with the line of scrimmage. So the, the best way to, to attack them, I feel like, is to control the, the line to gain, and then everything else is just going to kind of flow as a result. Or – can spiral out of control um, as a result if they don't control the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I was looking at uh, Iowa's rushing numbers the last three years against Wisconsin. Uh, had a really good rushing game uh, in 2018, but that was not the greatest Wisconsin rush defense. The last two years, though, Wisconsin's rush D has been very similar to what it was this year. Iowa was doing some things in 2019. Uh, ran 15 times for 66 yards in the first half. Not bad. That's four-plus per carry. Uh, but they gave up a touchdown very, very late in that half. Ended up losing that game by two points. Um, you know, and kind of got away from the run in the second half in comeback mode. Last year, we all remember Tyler Goodson's 80-yard touchdown run at the end of the game. But to that point, Iowa really hadn't done anything on the ground to speak of. Just 42 yards before that, uh, deep into the fourth quarter. So it's always been a little bit tricky to run. And here's what makes it tough against Wisconsin is Leo uh, Chanel, the uh, inside linebacker, 6'2", 261, and Jack Sanborn, 6'2", 236. Those two guys have a combined 17 tackles for loss, and that's not just sacks. The problem is when you run the ball, uh, those guys are attacking the gaps and getting those tackles for loss. So even running play, especially with the way Iowa is blocking sometimes, is not safe. Uh, It'll be really interesting to see how Iowa approaches uh, its game plan uh, on Saturday. Um, and our fourth question, we'll get into that, uh, the offensive side of the ball as well. Um, but first, a reset. You are listening to Hawk Central from the Des Moines Register and KXNO. You are listening to Chad Lystico and Kennington Smith. We are three questions deep into five big questions. Uh, number four, will the Hawkeyes mimic its Iowa State game plan? Now we're getting into game plan, Kennington. That game plan was basically defense, punting, I mean, that was a, that was the Tory Taylor game, if there ever was one. Although he did do the same thing against Penn State, I will say, <laughs> um, and no turnovers. Uh, that is that was the plan that worked at Iowa State on the road, hostile environment. But that was also a really conservative offense against a very good defense, and they did strike for a few TDs. Give them credit. Can that work again? Will that work again on Saturday? Yeah, I think it's. Um kind of funny that this is one of our questions because I feel like in some alternative universe, if we were covering Wisconsin, I feel like we'll be asking the same question about the Badgers against the the Hawkeyes. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that both of these teams are going to kind of have a somewhat of a similar game plan of we're going to, both teams want to try to establish the run. Both teams are going to want to take care of the ball. Both teams are going to want to win the field position in the time of possession battle. So, I think that they maybe they don't want to go in there and try to mimic that game plan, especially offensively. They only had 
Um, I don't have the stats in, in front of me, but and Charlie Jones was leading receiver with 36 receiving yards. Peaches there threw for a little bit over 100. I think it was an statistically eye-popping day on offense, and I know that that's never the goal to go into a game and not get a lot of yards on offense and not move the ball. But overall, I think that it is going to have to be a team effort. The offense is going to have to capitalize when they when they have the opportunity to. The defense has to be sound in this game, and they're going to have to keep the score low. Um, to avoid putting Iowa's offense in a position where they're going to have to generate a lot of points to sustain to the game. Special teams, I expect to be strong as they've been uh, pretty much all year. Um, I know should have missed the kick against Purdue, but other than that, he's been he's been rock solid all year. So I expect both teams to kind of play in the same yeah. breath. It's just a matter of who is going to do it with the most effectiveness. On Saturday. Yeah, I, do, I kind of, I agree that that's probably how it's going to go. I will say this: I don't know if that is Iowa's best strategy. I hear, my thinking being, uh, you want Wisconsin to be uncomfortable, and that means if you can get out to a lead, get up ten nothing, you know, kind of be aggressive out of the gate instead of kind of, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, trading trading punts for a quarter and a half and and all that. I think if you can get ahead, especially before the students arrive for that 11 a.m. game, they're not going to be there till the second quarter. Uh, maybe try to try to take that lead in the first quarter and start making Mertz uh, throw the football a little bit. Then you can maybe really <laughs> pin your ears back and start making some plays happen on defense and uh, maybe even score on defense. All right, man, uh, we got to hustle through number five, but this is an easy one. Uh, it's kind of a yes-no with a, with a short explanation. Is Wisconsin or Iowa – the team to beat in the Big Ten West? I would have to say Iowa is the team to beat. They have the least, tied for the least amount of losses in the West. I feel like they've been the most consistent team in terms of just overall performance, start to finish. Um, so far in the Big Ten West, they have the most impressive wins of anybody in the West, the only ranked team in the West to, to this point. So I would have to give the edge to the Hawkeyes, even though they're underdogs um, in this game against Wisconsin. But just start to finish, complete body of work, I feel like Iowa's resume and what they've done holds the most weight of of anybody in that division. No, I, I do agree with that. And Iowa does have the one-game lead. But I'm going to say Wisconsin just because uh, I think their schedule going forward is easier than Iowa's. So if they win this game, which they are favored to do, by three and a half, uh, the, these are their four remaining games. At Rutgers, home against Northwestern, home against Nebraska. Then at Minnesota, obviously that game could be for all the marbles, but they own Minnesota, <laughs> typically. So I'm going to say Wisconsin. I'll be the contrarian here. All right, man. Uh, we will get to our third segment next. Uh, Iowa-Wisconsin, just one of several great Big Ten matchups on Saturday. Yes, we will get to our Iowa-Wisconsin predictions one more time from Eric Zamora as well. You're listening to Hawk Central on 1460 KXNO and now on 106.3 FM. Everything you need to know about the Hawkeyes, it's Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register on 1460 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central. This is Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register along with Kennington Smith. If you missed any of tonight's show, make sure to catch the podcast at hawkcentral.com, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, busy week, actually, for us uh, on the Hawkeyes beat. Uh, we're, we're filing some of our preseason basketball content uh, this week uh, to run in Sunday's paper. 
Uh, also announced today that Keegan Murray of the Hawkeyes will be first team or is first team all all Big Ten preseason. And uh, congrats to Caitlin Clark, first team All American preseason, first Hawkeye women's player to earn that honor. That's pretty cool. Um, and uh, Iowa Wrestling Media Day as well today from Cody Goodwin. Incredible news early in that press conference: eleven thousand six hundred season tickets already purchased by Hawkeye wrestling fans for what is expected to be an unbelievably exciting season with everybody back from last year's NCAA championship team. Kennington, we'll have to get you to a wrestling match sometime this season. Uh, but we don't have a lot of time, so we're, let's rush into the Big Ten football slate this weekend. A bunch of great games. I mean, it kind of stinks that, that we're going to be covering a game at the same time as probably the other best game of the day. Michigan at Michigan State, 11 a.m. on Fox. But uh, maybe while we're driving home uh, that night, uh, Penn State at Ohio State, 6.30 on ABC. In between there, you got Purdue at Nebraska and Minnesota at Northwestern. A couple Big Ten West games with some implications. But uh, what stands out to you there? What do you think? Uh, any highlights or, or what stands out for, for what's going to happen? I'm so interested in this Michigan-Michigan State matchup. Two undefeated teams and really two teams that, you know, when we're looking at who they've played and the ranked teams on their schedule, both of these teams are, this is like their first major game of the year against each other. Um, You know, Ohio State's played Oregon. Penn State has played Iowa. Michigan and Michigan State, this is like the first marquee matchup and the first time that, that both of them are going to be kind of on this stage where a lot is on the line. Um, Mel Tucker, first, first year head coach is, is killing right now. His, his name is in the mix for a lot of different jobs. Um, so I'm interested to, to see how his, his team comes out at home. And for Harbaugh, you know, this is, um, a huge season for him. And he had a lot of question marks about kind of where he stood with Michigan and where their team was at at the beginning of the year. But they've weathered that to an undefeated start as well. So a lot on the line for both sides. So I hate that it has to happen at the same time uh, of our game. But that's what I'm the most interested in, of course. Yeah, um, certainly, uh, you know, Minnesota is going to be favored at Northwestern. But keep an eye on the Gophers. Uh, they've got that 3-1 and record. Uh, pretty good uh, friendly schedule, except for that game at Kinnick. On November thirteenth, so uh, big, uh, big opportunity. You know, you can if you're a Hawkeye fan, you want the Gophers to lose. And then what I would say about the Ohio State Penn State game is, man, James Franklin, just some crazy stuff this week. Uh, talk, you know, the the news that he has a new agent comes out. He starts. He keeps saying we're focused on Illinois, <laughs> even though they played Ohio State this week, and that they're going to the big house. Uh, just some weird stuff from Franklin. And also a little side note, Xavier Wampa, uh, big Iowa recruiting target, visiting Ohio State this weekend. He just tweeted that. I mean, we already knew that, but he is uh, on his way to Columbus this weekend. So it would go a long way for the Hawkeyes, you would think, if they could win at Wisconsin, maybe with a good defensive performance and convince Xavier that uh, Iowa is the place for him. Uh, anything else you feel like we left, uh, didn't talk about tonight, Kennington, uh, before we get to predictions regarding the uh, this football game or, or what we heard on Tuesday? Not not anything that, that's sticking out to, to me at the moment. I just, uh, I'm really interested in maybe one thing that we talked about in short spurts, but just overall, I'm looking at both sides. Uh, of the line of scrimmage for Iowa as these were the two of the biggest question marks that we had coming into the year. 
Both of those units were overwhelmed in their last outing against Purdue. I'm very interested in seeing with what what Iowa has been proven to, to be in terms of an offensive line factory and the development university over the past two decades with what the, the defensive line and how strongly they felt about them in the early part of the season and how they developed throughout the year. I'm very interested to see how those two units play respectively and how, you know, whether they excel or maybe they, they take another step back um, determines the outcome of this game. Yep, uh, great points there, Kennington. All right, man, uh, running out of time, last couple minutes. Eric Zamora, uh, as we said at the beginning of the show, this is his last uh, Hawk Central. We will miss Eric very much, but now he gets a chance to leave his legacy on Hawk Central by making a prediction uh, as he heads out the door. Last time, Eric, what do you got? At the end of September, we were talking going into the Wisconsin-Notre Dame game, and I said, you know what, I felt like Wisconsin, they're, they're frauds this year. And I know that they're getting on a little bit of a run here, but if you look at the opposition, it's not like they're beating world beaters. They're beating teams that most years you would say they should beat, and they did. I think that Iowa comes away with a win here, and I don't know if I'd say it's comfortable because, I mean, does Iowa really ever win comfortably? <laughs> but at Maryland. Yeah. But for their style, I, I think they come away with – a a a ten point ish uh, mm. victory. I've got um, Zamora. I've got Iowa. Uh, let's say twenty to ten. Endearing himself to his new Eastern Iowa uh, listeners. All right, Kennington. Uh, by the way, I should point out. Good point by you, Eric. It just made me think of this. Purdue. You know, they faced a Purdue team coming off an extremely emotional and exhilarating win at yeah. Iowa. So that could have been a come down game for the Boilermakers last week too. So maybe not as much credit deserved there for Wisconsin, but give them credit. <laughs> All right, Kennington, you get to go first because I'm still uh, I, I got to make my final calculations over here. What do you got? All right, so it's interesting. I always leading throughout the year, I thought that this was probably going to be a game that that Iowa drops just because on the road, tough place to play after the slate that they had at the beginning of, of the season. But the circumstances around this game, the fact that they lost in the last game, coming into this game, they've kind of had a chance to to refocus personally. I just do not feel like this team is going to drop a second game in a row. This in this type of of way, kind of a second loss would be kind of a almost a kiss of death. We spoke to this earlier that a loss in this game would really kind of hurt their chances of, of winning the West. I think they understand what's on the line, and I just can't um, this this Kirk Ferris team dropping two in a row. So I'm not exactly sure how it's going to happen. I have them very close. If you're betting. Please take the under on points. I have Iowa 17 to 10. And another prediction. I got to I gotta go. We got to go, man. Uh, I, oh. We got to go. Uh, 17, I'll go 17-13 Badgers. I think Hawkeyes uh, need to make some changes, but probably won't. So there you go. Take care.